Joel White here, host of the Rams in White podcast. We're going to be speaking about business, property and finance, talking with industry experts, property professionals, investors, developers, entrepreneurs, and ultimately how to grow, scale and build momentum in your business. Thank you for listening. Right, welcome back to another episode of the uh, Rams in White Business, Property and Finance podcast. Uh, I'm here today with Jeanette Linfords. Jeanette, thank you for joining me. Um, me. I know it's been a long time coming, um, but I really appreciate you taking the time to come down and and speak with me today. I know the audience is going to get massive value from it. Um, You know, we've been working together for a while now and uh, there's lots of nuggets in here to share. So the purpose of this podcast today is really get to know who Jeanette is a little bit. Uh, the person behind Brave Bold Brilliant and all the other things you've got going on and also share some value to the audience in terms of your business journey, the corporate life, property journey uh, and I'm sure there's going to be some other nuggets along the way. So um, as an introduction then, Jeanette, I'll say, you know, corporate kind of CEO background, many Mm -hmm. years in the corporate world at the highest kind of level, working kind of up the ranks, I guess, working in kind of private equity acquisitions and mergers as a kind of consultant for them Mm -hmm. sort of businesses which is um, I'm really interested in property and then from there you've moved into kind of business entrepreneurship property mentoring and many other things as well so um yeah, welcome to welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Joel. Oh my God, it's amazing being here. Oh, also the the host of the Brave Bold Brilliant. So we'll get back to that in a while as well. But Jeanette, for those who don't know who you are, who, do you want to give us a bit of an intro? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm loving that you've re, you're redoing the podcast, so that's really cool. Yeah, so well done. By popular demand. Back with a vengeance. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, it's um. So yeah, a bit of background on me. Uh, as you can tell, northerner. Yeah. Dulcet tones of northerness yeah, in yeah. it. Uh, so I grew up in Manchester, you know, really happy family, mm-hmm. youngest of three girls, three okay. daughters, yeah. um, very normal working class family, you know, my dad was a plumber, mum was a secretary, um, and, you know, a happy, happy childhood. Mm. My dad used to call us a knicker brigade, so <laughs> he was surrounded by blooming women in his house. Yeah. But I was the only one to go to university, and, and it's really weird because I think even back then I kind of knew that I was a bit different mm. to my sisters. Mm. Not that not better or worse, just just different. So, you know, they settled down, stayed in Manchester, had their families, but I just kind of knew there was a big wide world out there and mm. I wanted to explore it, even yeah. though I didn't know what that looked like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I went off to university, went to Leeds. Mm-hmm. So I stayed north, did an economics degree. Burnt the candle both ends, Joel, uh, which you won't be surprised to hear. So yeah. came out with a first. Well done. Um, as you do. As you do. <laughs> yeah. But having had a great time as well, yeah, yeah. you know, so I made some amazing lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. And then when I graduated, I'm showing my age, I was 93. So big recession. Mm-hmm. I was applying for like hundreds of jobs, and I mean hundreds. Yeah. And I was just getting knocked back after knocked back after knocked back, even though I had a you know decent yeah. degree. Even even rugby cement refused me. Okay. Couldn't get on the graduate scheme <laughs> from rugby cement or McCain oven chips. Yeah. Um anyway, cut a long story short. What I was, was the goal? Sorry to interrupt. What was you know, you got an economics degree, which mm. is ain't the easiest degree, and yeah. the first as well. Yeah. What was the ideal job? Say if it wasn't a recession and there's lots of opportunity and employment, where 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 would you have liked to work at that point in your life? Um 
well, I think I always had a passion for the travel industry, and I'll come back to how I ended up getting into mm. travel. So, so that was definitely up there. Mm. But I was just love business. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I wanted to get into a business. I wanted to do a graduate scheme mm. because I wanted to learn all different facets, and I knew I wanted to be in a sort of a, I guess, a B two C business where the customer was at the heart of it. Yeah. So you know, sort of more the service led. Mm. Um, or brand-led business. So I knew that, but outside of that, I didn't have a specific, I want this sector or whatever. Mm. Um, but none of that came to pass because what ended up happening was I actually got a my first proper job as a government economist. Okay. So I moved to London, which was quite a big deal for me because as I say, you know, I always thought I'd stay north. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know anyone in London. So I, I joined the government economic service yeah. as an economist um, down yeah. in Whitehall. And did that for a couple of years. How, how was that? Bonkers. Yeah. Absolutely bonkers. It was. It what was does that fun. look like? A government econ- economist. <laughs> well, the civil service, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine a very different pace to kind of being in a sort of commercial business, yeah. if you like. But it was a good first job, mm. you know, because it was intellectually challenging. Mm. So I would get involved in answering parliamentary questions. Mm. I, I was at the Department of um, Social Services and specialising in pensions, ironically. Okay, yeah, so I was doing lots of economic modelling around what would happen if, you know, if you raise the pension age of women to, you know, different, you know, different levels, yeah. 65, 67, the impact on social services budget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's quite an interesting intellectual challenge. The people there now are going 107. (laughs) Will we even have a state pension? Um, So yeah, it was a good first job. And I I met some amazing friends there as well. Mm. But the social side of things was was strong, actually, even though it was a civil service. But I knew I knew it wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, So hence, after two years, I kind of jumped out. But I took a bit of a backward step because I was still getting back in the days, remember this is pre-internet, I know it's hard for you to imagine, Joel, because I'm a lot older than you, but pre-internet. So I was still getting all what used to be called prospects today from Lee Junior, which used to have all the jobs and the graduate schemes and stuff. And I was still getting that delivered, you know, paper copy, you know, Mm. old school. And I saw in there an advert for the graduate scheme at Thompson Holidays. Now I'd applied for the graduate scheme in my final year and I got rejected. So I didn't get in. Mm. So maybe I was just like, you know, stubborn and yeah. thought, I am getting Give into that business, come yeah. hell or high water. <laughs> so eventually, so I did, I applied and joined the graduate scheme, but I was unusual because I'd been working for two years. So I was old, mm. you know, compared to everyone yeah, else coming yeah. straight out of uni. Um, and that was really the start of my travel career, if you like. Um, so I started from the bottom, worked my way up, uh, various reiterations of my career, um, ultimately to become the MD of the emerging markets for TUI. Mm-hmm. So I bought, ran, sold ran businesses in China, India, Brazil, Russia and Ukraine, ironically. So I set TUI up in both of those markets mm-hmm. through um, a joint venture and acquiring three businesses. So it's heartbreaking seeing what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I left TUI and I joined Saga as a CEO of the travel division. So I had four businesses, about 370 million a turnover at the time and 1,700 people on my team kind of level, if you like, in terms of yeah. people. Uh, so big people, a turnaround job to be done mm-hmm. um, actually on the business. And and then I jumped out from there about three years ago, just over three years ago to become an entrepreneur, as they say. And that's kind of where I am now. 
And was it, were you happy with the decision to jump out and become an entrepreneur? Well, I was, <laughs> I am, yeah, I am. But it was funny because I didn't, again, I sort of knew, what I, I roughly knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. But things evolve, mm. you know, and I'm always a big believer in know where you're heading, have a plan, work towards it. Mm. But sometimes you've got to be flexible and opportunities can show up when you least expect them. Yeah. You know, so when I decided to jump out of corporate, I guess... You know, I, I started doing a lot of advisory work because I'd done a lot of mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. So that sort of naturally happened and, and evolved into a business. Mm. Then I sort of started doing mentoring and property. We made the decision we wanted to, to you know, expand out into property more than we had been doing. But then the podcast just kind of came out of nowhere, really, yeah. of me being more out on social media. So I've now got those four things going on. Mm. So business mentoring, board advisory work, uh, property investing and the podcast and then I do quite a bunch of pro bono stuff as well okay so you're busy busy yeah, just a little bit <laughs> we'll go we'll get into, stuck into all them things very interesting the Rams and White podcast is proudly sponsored by TFG Capital a non-regulated short-term finance lender able to deal with intermediaries landlords investors and developers across the UK with a strong appetite to lend and the ability to fund bridging loans within a matter of days TFG will find a lending solution that's exactly tailored to the client's requirements for either investment purchase, refinances, release of equity or refurbishments. With hands-on senior leadership team deeply experienced in real estate finance, they can offer a unique service to take on challenges other lenders often can't. Lending decisions are based on the security and not the serviceability, financial performance or credit reports. If you're looking for business-related cash flow to refinance or add to your property portfolio or require funding for your next development and would like to find out more, feel free to contact the team today on 0800 061 4834 or email sales at tfgcapital.co.uk. But I want to just touch base on that corporate career for a second, yeah. if I may. So, you know, you've reached basically the pinnacle of the, I guess, one of the position in these companies. What was it like? What was a day-to-day -day like? You know, that sort of turnover, that many staff, that level of responsibility. How did you deal with that level of pressure or stress? Or how would you internalise that if, if you had to? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I love my corporate career. I was mm. never one of those people that said, oh, sack your job or I want to get out of the mm. grind. You know, I really genuinely loved yeah. all the roles that, I, that I've done and feel really lucky to mm. have had, had the opportunity. But it's tough. Yeah, it's, it's high pressure. Mm. The numbers are big. Mm. You know, you're dealing with millions of customers, yeah. not not tens or thousands. So, so, so the, the stakes are quite high. Um, and, you know, I was when I was at TUI in particular, I was away a lot. You know, I would be away 60 to 70 percent of my time. I'd be overseas. Mm. You know, so my commute used to be to Beijing. You know, yeah. I fly 12 hours to Beijing, eight yeah. hour time difference, go out on a Monday, back on the Friday. Then the next week I'll be off to Moscow or to Sao Paulo. So. From that point of view, you, you kind of got to love what you do because mm. it's not it's not a it's not just about kind of, the job. Yeah, it's a lifestyle choice. Yeah. And having a partner like Chris, which I have, was played a huge part in that because I could never have done my job, mm -hmm. and I still couldn't do the, what I do today if it wasn't for Chris. So, yeah. lots of pressure. Um, when the trading is good then, you know, obviously that's a lot easier. But the travel industry is prone to every single global shock you can possibly imagine. Yeah, yeah. You know, so whether it's a 9-11, ash cloud, repatriation from a hurricane, 
deaths in in the resort you know that would happen yeah. people jumping off balconies or you know all sorts of stuff mm. goes on and of course as the as the md or the company director you, you're responsible for that yeah um so yeah so lots of pressure but lots of fun and it's all got to be about having a great team because in particular when you've got a team that's global mm. you know I, I couldn't physically be in all those places at the same time yeah how so, would you kind of delegate the responsibility like what was like the business has grown and evolved and you're there at the helm and you're kind of pushing but say you had an idea you wanted to implement something how would you kind of delegate that responsibility just a, a leadership team underneath you that you're responsible for what yeah would that look like? yeah i mean certainly when when i had um individual markets so say russia mm. um china india etc i would have managing directors uh, in those destinations yeah. with a full operational team behind mm. them so they they are obviously you know the eyes the ears on the ground with full accountability so yeah. one recruit really smart people that know what what they're mm. doing smarter people than, than yourself very often in certain areas yeah. um set them up for success mm. in particular you know with clear parameters accountability let mm. them fly but also have the relevant checks and balances in place mm. Because also it makes a difference if you're a FTSE, if you're a FTSE listed business. Okay. You know because when I used to have to say present in front of the city, which I, I did more at Saga to be honest than, yeah. than at Tui, but what I said could impact the share price. Yeah. So so you have to be very careful. You know you're very not restricted as such. You've got a lot of freedom to lead the business as you see fit. And I always had great um, accountability myself. I was let, I was allowed to run my division in the way that I thought was right. Yeah. But lots of corporate governance, lots of uh, rigor around investment cases and mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. So in particular on mergers and acquisitions, you know, I was, we were looking at buying a business in Brazil at one point, which was like 600 million pounds mm. acquisition. And I was leading that. Yeah. And ultimately I had to present to the board what I thought was the best yeah. investment for Dewey. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you feel the responsibility, but having the right team, the right structure, having a, a strategy, where do you want to head ultimately? Yeah. Having a plan, mm -hmm. you know, really. And obviously you can imagine the rigor behind that. Um, but also having the mandate and, and being the right role yourself yeah. to flourish. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I, it, yeah it's, it's tough, but enjoyable. And I, I learned so much. Yeah. You know? Who would be your, like, soundboard? You know, because when you're running a company or you're top or your MDs underneath mm -hmm. you, people are looking for you to, to make that right decision. But who do you lean into? Obviously, you've got Chris, supportive partner. Yeah, yeah. But is there anyone else within the organisation you can go, hey, look, I think about doing this? Or you kind of got, well, my gut and experience tells me I need to do it and have yeah. confidence in your own ability. It's important. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's important, you know. I think the thing is, no matter what business you're in, if you're a solopreneur mm. or you're running, you know, a FTSE 100 multi-billion mm pound business everyone thinks that you've got all the answers as the boss yeah. and it can be the loneliest place in the world mm. i mean you know joel you'll feel it sometimes with your business what you're doing ramsey and white you know you feel in the you feel the pressure you've got your partners and you've got the mm. a support structure around you but still sometimes it just feels like it's all on your shoulders yeah, you very know? Much, yeah. um so so for me i think surrounding yourself with the right people is absolutely critical so mm. your team is one but you know, you're also there to, to kind of protect the team sometimes, in particular yeah. when there's a lot of corporate politics, because mm. there can be a lot of that bollocks, excuse my French, yeah, that no, goes on. Um, so I always felt I was like, one of my roles was the buffer. 
to yeah. protect them from some of that pressure and nonsense. Yeah. Some of it justifies, some of it not. Allow them to get on their job a bit more. Exactly. Let them focus on that. Mm. I'll, I'll take the stress of that and mm. I will manage up and I will manage down a, a, accordingly. Um, but in terms of who I lean on, um, I, I had an amazing boss. I've got to give him a shout out. He'll hate it because he, he hates the limelight. A chap called Richard Prosser. Mm. And Richard was the reason I got into the emerging markets at TUI because I was a product director at First Choice, he then tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, we're going to go international. We want to move into emerging markets. How do you fancy going to Russia? Yeah. And it was Richard that mm. kind of believed in me. Mm. At that point, I'd done no corporate finance. I hadn't bought a business. Yeah. I'd, I was good at running commercial divisions, mm. but I hadn't had full P&L. Yeah. You know, so he just saw something in me. So Richard, even though years later, so then he subsequently left Tui, but he to this day is one of my most reliable, kindest, strongest mentors informally. Yeah. So Richard would be my go-to very often, mm -hmm. in particular when I left Tui as well. Yeah. Um, so he's he's one. Um, and then you know, I, th I guess I guess also for me at Tui, Jackie Simmons, she was the group HR director. So she was very, very smart lady. Mm. She also knew how to manage Peter Long, who was a group CEO, who was my boss. Yeah. And I had a great relationship with Peter. I feel very grateful for having had that position. But Jackie knew him better. Yeah. So there were certain things going on at certain mm. times. You know, I mean, Jackie said to me when I got promoted, right, you're going to be reporting to Peter. That's great, but, you know... It can be a little bit tricky sometimes, so let's let's get you a coach. Yeah. So I've had mentors and coaches at different times in my mm. life. So one, she was a great sounding board, um, in particular with team and, and things like that, very high emotional intelligence, but also having coaches at that point was really helpful for me because it helped me step up. I was stepping up into a totally mm. different world. Yeah. Um, different so yeah. expectations and responsibilities yeah. and... You got that desire and drive to do well in that role, but you might not have maybe the skill set yet, or actually just a know-how. So having that mentor, coach, just to kind of bring you through it, then absolutely, be the best version, right? Yeah, and and also Peter was very much an alpha male, mm. very alpha male. Yeah. You know, I mean, a genius with what he did in the travel industry. I mean, absolute legend. Yeah. To have worked for someone like that is like you know mm. God, yeah. like really. But by God. You know, Bullish. very, very. You know, if you ever done any psychometric profiling, very yeah. red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm yeah. red as well, by the way. I'm yeah. yellow. But um, what do you think? Just jumping. What do you think of all that? Because I, I you know, we work with a, a sports psychologist. He's a client, and, yeah. and uh, he he's introduced that to us as a uh, spotlight. He calls it um, when you're interviewing people and bring them on the team and management. So we should understand everyone's kind of psychological profile, so we know yeah. best how to manage them and get the best out of them and stuff which i thought was quite interesting but there's so many levels to it what's your kind of take on that yeah mm. i think it's powerful yeah um i like it i mean mm. they're all basic most of the psychometric profiling tools mm. and there's quite a lot of them yeah most of them are based on sort of myers-briggs kind of yeah. like fundamentals um so but now they tend to i use one called luminous spark with my mentees yeah. i i put them through put them through that sounds terrible doesn't it um but use that because it's color energies and it's really easy to understand yeah. but it's uncannily accurate whenever you do one of these like mm. online questionnaires your report comes back you're like, oh my god that is me yeah, 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 yeah. shit is that me <laughs> yeah. oh my god yes yeah. it is and and the point is there's no right or wrong but everyone's different mm. 
And I'm just finishing reading a book actually at the moment called Surrounded by Idiots by Thomas Erickson, which again is another take on it. So I think it's really powerful. I think one... Is that kind of suggesting everyone's idiots because you're thinking they're not engaging the way you want but it's actually you're just this totally different mindset or yeah perception right? yeah yeah perception of why doesn't other people why don't other people get it yeah why course. don't they respond the way that i yeah. do some people actually. like the stick and some people like the carrot yeah. obviously they're not idiots they yeah, clearly yeah. just come from a different perspective yeah. so i suppose it's a it's a quite a headline grabbing title of a book mm. um but i'm a big believer in it because i think being self-aware first mm. and foremost yeah. if you know yourself mm warts and all and you really do then you know you can you can adapt you can change you can you know focus on what you're good at be aware of your kind of little maybe some of your blind spots and then you can sort of be be a lot more sensitive to people around you and i think with a team you want all of those color energies yeah for sure Um, and if you're over indexed on one Mm -hmm. Um, or two, then you're not necessarily going to get the best results. You know, you need a balance, so it helps you with that. I think. Yeah, I agree. I think, especially in leadership as well, mm. that self kind of perspective or reflection on your weaknesses, your strengths, how to communicate. Yeah. So you're not your ego doesn't flare up when you might have got something wrong, and you're going or oh, blaming it on someone else. Well, actually, yeah. it's your responsibility. Own it and deal with it in the right way. 100%. I think you get a lot more respect from your your peers and stuff. Mm. That leads me on to another question then. So they talk about a bus, right, and getting people on the right seats on that yeah. bus. And sometimes the driver probably should be a passenger and the passenger should be a driver. Then you hear about this, right? Yeah. How do you identify who's in the right seats <laughs> at the right time? And then sometimes on that journey, people have outgrown that seat, haven't they? Yeah. So yeah. as a business, you might have seen that in your corporate career and also as, as an entrepreneur. What's your thoughts around that or any insight to it? Yeah, I mean, low, I mean, it's a great question, by the way. You're absolutely right. Get everyone on the on the bus, yeah. all facing in the same direction and yeah. sitting in the right seats. Yeah. That, that's the analogy, isn't it? And um, you're absolutely spot on. But the reality is you don't always get it right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think for me, when you're, when you're coming into a new organisation in particular, or maybe you're starting a business, you're building a team from scratch, um, I think you've got to take a bit of time. Actually, don't rush it too much. Mm because everyone's different. Some people work at a different pace. Some people are like, you know, diamonds in the rough that just need to be like, to be shone, mm. you know, and, and actually you need to create the right environment for people to flourish. And also for you to then assess the team. Mm. I think sometimes we can jump in with our opinions and there might be stuff going on at home that's affecting someone's performance yeah. or where they're, which seat they're sitting in. Mm. So I think communication is absolutely key. Um, it should always be a two-way street when you're dealing with you know, your team. Mm. A lot of listening, more listening than talking. Mm. Um, and to find out what people really want from their career, from yeah. their, you know, their, their life aspirations. And then ideally you can match people up in the right, in the right roles. Mm. Um, but you know, if you want to create a really high-performing team, you have to be able to identify poor, poor, poor behaviour, where performance isn't happening, but be really honest and, and understand why. Is it because you've not given them the right direction? Is it because people aren't yeah. clear? Is yeah. it because you're, you're rewarding people in the wrong way? Mm-hmm. Is it because they no one's got no one's having a, a performance review and they don't know where, how they're doing? Yeah, you know. So Just I cruising. think yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think you've got to take your time, do a lot of listening, um, set a very as a leader, it's important you set a very clear vision for the business. Mm-hmm. And you, you allow other people to contribute to that so they feel bought in. But 
you want to have a high performing team, you've got to be behind a common purpose um, and everyone wins together, mm. you know, yeah. and I think that's the key. But you have to move people it's, around sometimes and sometimes you've got to exit people because they're not right. so spot on. There's that old saying, isn't there, Adele, that, that meme of the, the guy, the, the business owner of the sports car. And he says, um, someone says, a oh, nice car. And he says, yeah, work as hard as you did this year, next year, and I'll buy another one. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like, you know, that's not the mentality you want for the, you know, the team to see, right? But that kind of vision for the business and if everyone can buy into that vision and, and they benefit from mm. achieving them business goals um, that in a way that's congruent to the business and for their own needs and requirements, then the business can kind of thrive a lot more, right? 100%. Um, have you read a book called Traction? I'm no. Just, okay, I Traction by a guy called Gino. I think Gino is something, I can't remember the surname, but there's, I've only just started it. And it is the, there's, a, there's a system called EOS, which is the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Yeah. And it talks about um, management and leadership and getting people in the right seats. And I thought it's very similar to some of the stuff that you've spoken to me about in the past. So, mm. um, yeah. If anyone's listening, check out Traction. <laughs> Little plug for them, guys. Are you born an entrepreneur? Are you made an entrepreneur? Oh, I call nature versus nature yeah. question. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that one. It's very yeah. rare you see someone go through that corporate career that long and then go across because, you know, sorry to digress, but mm. I've been trying to recruit someone who is unbelievable. He's been in corporate kind of finance in mm. the corporate world for the last 20 years and he'd be a perfect fit in this business you say you employ people smarter than you and stuff and he's yeah. definitely up there his dad's an operations director he's got that kind of leadership management skills had all the training through various corporate banks but he's just so afraid to leave that mm. infrastructure that he's just been used to yeah but you're at another or at a whole different level to him in terms of like career and um position but so how did you find that confidence to to go yeah. So I chucked a lot at you there. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's got a lot to do with sort of where you are in your life. Yeah. As well, for me, yeah. I can only talk about personally, but certainly, I guess I got to my so I've just turned fifty, so I would have been forty five ish, forty six when I was mm -hmm. thinking about mm. you know what does the next phase of my life look like. And Chris is ten years older than me. Not that that matters specifically, but he'd retired. Yeah. You know, and so I'm jetting off here there and everywhere we had a great life and you know i really love my career but there does come a point where i think when you get to that sort of age you know you're sort of mid 40s 50s mm. what happens or what happened for me i can only say what happens for me was i was very i was very conscious that i wanted to the next phase of my life to be as exciting and as fulfilling mm -hmm. as it had been so far but it felt slightly different mm. Partly probably because Chris had retired, so he had freedom, choice, flexibility, where I'm on the corporate like hook, you know, I mean, literally yeah. you're working ridiculous hours yeah. and loving it, but still you don't have a lot of time mm. and you get very well rewarded. So I thought I sat down and I said, Well, what do what do I want and what do we want as a team, as a as a couple? And I, you know, I thought actually I want more freedom, choice, flexibility. I want to work on things that I love mm -hmm. that are still really challenging intellectually mm -hmm. for me and from a business point of view. Um, and never say never, mm -hmm. because if an amazing you know, CEO role came up in an organization that I just thought I have got to do it, then I can always go back and do that. Yeah. Um, but at that point of time, I just thought, actually, I really want us to create a lifestyle for ourselves where I've got more 
I, I control my diary yeah. more than more than someone else does. Mm. So so that was sort of the driver really. Um, and I always say to people, well, what's the worst that can happen? Mm. If you don't like it or it yeah. doesn't work out, so what? Go back and go back and get another corporate yeah. job. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? You know, I think sometimes people think when they move from one phase of their life or one career choice or one company to another one, they think that they they're almost closing the door on that past. Well, you're not, because mm. you take all of that with you, all the knowledge, the experience, the contacts, all of that still comes with you. You don't lose it and yeah. start again. Yeah. You know, so I think people forget yeah, how mm. much transferable sort mm. of stuff there is. And I always used to tell myself, oh, you're a brilliant corporate CEO, but you're not entrepreneurial. Mm. I used to tell myself that. Yeah. I mean, it's complete nonsense. Mm. So when I talk about mindset and stuff like that, I think you can achieve anything you want, but you've got to believe it. Um, so yeah, so that was what that was what sort of was the the catalyst for me. But we took a year, more or less a year off. Went backpacking around South America for three months. Nice. You know, month in the Philippines diving, month in Thailand. You know, yeah. we were literally away for probably eight months of that of that year. And I was still then I was getting approached by private equity houses to help them buy businesses. Yeah because I'd done loads of mergers and acquisitions, mm. it wasn't an intentional thing at that point. Yeah. But that sort of evolved into becoming a business in its own right. Yeah. Um, so, and that came from just my network, people that knew me. I didn't pitch, I never pitched for work. Mm -hmm. You know, they just kind of approached me, but that's interesting. Yeah, I remember working on, did it on a deal when I was in Buenos Aires, backpacking, you know, I mean, it was, crazy but i thought oh, it's quite cool on that on that mergers and acquisitions because i mm. love that i love the yeah. you know business and buying business and all that stuff and investing something you said to me once you got offered an opportunity to value a company that a private equity firm wanted to acquire yep and you went into the business to review it and yeah. the sales or the owner of the company who was the acting managing director yeah was exiting, selling, hopefully, for yes. a good price. They yeah. kind of pre-agreed, um, subject to the due diligence that you had taken part in. Yeah. And the sales director was meant to come the managing director. Yeah. But you reported back and said, that sales director is a great sales director, but is not a great, would not, is not the right fit for the MD, or there might be some fluctuation in performance of the business yes. if they suddenly go into that position, yeah. which I thought was really powerful due diligence for the private equity company to have. So, um, just sidestepping away from the traveling and, and mm. moving from corporate to, to entrepreneurship, what was happening in there in that situation and kind of when you go into doing a deal, what are you kind of, what are your key metrics? What are you looking for? Because, yeah. you know, we'll talk a bit about how you come into my business and looked at it and I'll be honest, you nearly made me cry because I was like, oh gosh, <laughs> oh, no. we, it was so brutal, uh, but I needed I it. I was <laughs> We we spent Sorry, it, it was it was Christmas time right and it was like the end of the end of the, of the year. year and I was just like already tired and you're like right what's this 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 and we we did four days didn't we back to back <laughs> over a weekend over a weekend and I was like wow but it was so powerful and I look forward to sharing the results of you and stuff because it was really helpful and mm. we can talk more about it but um yeah you're you're a serious businesswoman so you know and you know what you're talking about which which I which I really appreciate and uh, you know you don't mince your words you just come in and get done so for those looking to maybe sell a business or acquire mm. a business what kind of uh i guess um uh advice would you give for going in and yeah and reviewing and yeah. not getting too excited by the just the company itself and yeah it's, it, i mean it's, it's fascinating i mean i i love business and and it's interesting because i spent most of my 
career in the travel industry yeah. and then you know we sat down and I learned loads about your business it was like god it was intense for me like picking yeah. it all up in, in a short space of time but business is business right and yeah. the, the core principles mm. are similar yeah you know the profile of the P&L all look different and mm. the metrics look different but fundamentally yeah you know the, the principles of having a good solid business are, are pretty common really mm. so there's two sides there's a buy side and there's a sell side yeah okay so if you're um if you're looking to sell your business let's talk about that first i think start with the end in mind mm. i will always say if possible yeah so or even if you think you might want to sell your business then set it up in a way that that's going to going to be an easier transition mm. so you've got to think about well are you selling 100 percent or do you want to stay on in some kind of role? What's your time frame? Mm. Um, how are you going to be able to demonstrate and maximize the end value? You mm. need to be able to show a, you know, a good trajectory of growth, profitability, a clear strategy. So if you're selling your business um, and you want to maximize the value, it's well worth sort of putting a bit of upfront thinking. Mm. Um, into Who it. the buyers might look like and what they're looking for. Yeah, is it a trade sale? Yeah. You know, are you going to be selling to a competitor? Mm. Are you selling to private equity? Mm. Um, do you actually want to open yourself up to a potential international buyer? Because mm. if you do, then your strategy will probably say, well, then you don't want to just be a UK centric business. Mm. So if you want to be able to scale up internationally, you probably need a digital aspect yeah. to your business. Okay. Or, you know, maybe if it's not so digitalized, you then need to be setting up separate legal entities, potentially in different countries. Mm. You know, so there's a lot to think about. Um, and I would just say as a seller, so once you've done all of that and you go, right, OK, yeah, I want to sell and either it a part or in its entirety. You need to then be thinking about how do you how do you deliver the performance of the here and now, but also drive the long term growth or, or the mid term growth. Mm. Um, so being able to sort of I suppose allocate your own time and your own headspace accordingly, having a very strong operational team that's kind of cracking on with the day to day, mm. um, whilst you can be thinking about the growth, the, the the big investments that you need to make to scale up. Um, if you want to exit, you need to really be building um, a, a leadership team where there's succession planning. Yeah. Because anyone buying your business, if it's some, a trade buyer yeah. um, and you want to exit as a CEO or MD, that might not be such a problem mm -hmm. because you know they might have someone that they can just helicopter in to run the business once mm -hmm. you're gone. Yeah. But if it's, if it's not, if it's a private equity, they're buying the leadership team and they want to know who is going to take this business to the mm. next round because they'll want to flip it in four to five years. Yeah. So thinking about all of those aspects, there's quite a lot in there, sorry. No, no, um, it's, it's, it's and, and never underestimate how much time, energy and emotion is involved mm. in, in preparing a business to sale because the due diligence will be extensive. Mm. You, you know, you need to also try and keep the team stable. So you might not want people to know in the business that you're yeah. looking to exit. Mm. So are, they, are you using trusted advisors? Are you maybe bringing in, you know, your number two or two or three people in the business that have got a vested interest in making the sale go well, but they can they keep the confidentiality. This is quite a lot to think about on the process as well. And, um, and emotionally, you know, I, I've worked with people that have sold their business and they say it was the worst day of their life when they sold their business. Yeah. I've heard that a few times. Worst day. Yeah. yeah, because because you know, if the you purpose is gone. Yeah, purpose is yeah. gone. So so again, that's a very good point. Think about how does this fit into what I want for my life? Yeah. 
you know, because if you go from from having been full on with your own business, having yeah, especially if you've started it and then you've grown it, it's been your baby, mm-hmm. when all of a sudden that baby is gone, yeah. what are you gonna do? Yeah, you might have like millions in the bank. Yeah. But what's the next phase? So, so try and think of it not just as the business, but the holistic thing around what you're trying to achieve in your life. So there's quite a lot there in selling. Um, if you're buying, um, it's all about the due diligence. Mm-hmm and making sure that you've got the right professionals on the team. Um, if it's a private equity, I've done quite a lot of work with private equity houses, they tend to have you know, good corporate finance people, tax, legal, etc. Those functions are, are absolutely critical. Um, Can but I just also, ask a question, Jeanette? Yeah, you know, sure. in, in them teams, they want to get the best possible price, right? Yes. Is there an element that they're dr- doing everything they can to drive that price down based on weaknesses in the business and in the financials right but i've met very very experienced fds and analysts who work in that space Mm. and they can tear a business apart in two minutes Mm -hmm. but is there a point where it doesn't is it still fair so i mean because it gets upon an an owner go i'm not selling that's that's i understand why you said that but yeah. So there's a bit of a trade-off, and then he needs a team or she needs a team to kind of offset against that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think it I think it depends on the buyer. Yeah. You know, if you're buying a distressed business mm. or a business that's in trouble, yeah, uh, and you've therefore got more strength as a buyer than a seller, mm. then obviously that's that's one dynamic, yeah. right? P&L. If you're trying to buy a really shit hot business that's that's agile, has got growth, good track record, you want to retain the leadership team, you want to keep the original founder in the business, maybe mm. on an earn out for three to five years, yeah. then you're not going to, it's not in your interest to screw them over on the price. Yeah. So you want, it depends is on the, the answer. It depends yeah. on the deal, it depends on the sector, it depends on all of, a lo- yeah. loads of things. But I think if you, you want to pay a fair price for a business, and yeah. if, if someone has spent years, invested 10, 15, 20 years, whatever, even five years, whatever it might be in building that business to a level, mm. then I think you you want to you know have a fair price. Also depends if it's a competitive process. Because mm. if someone's selling their business, they won't be speaking to just one buyer. You know, there might there might be four or five four or five mm. organisations after this. Yeah, I mean, you typically put the IM out, yeah. um, and you know, you might have twelve P houses or twelve venture capitalists or twelve angels look at it, yeah. and then the the buyer, the sorry, the seller will then maybe say, okay, we're going to short this it down to maybe six, mm. and then only three. It's a bit like an interview process. Yeah. So the power isn't all on the buying side. Um, but the due diligence needs to be really thorough. I mean, and you never, you know, you can do that to a to a, a big degree. Mm. Finance, commercial, legal, tax, those are the old commercial DD. Mm-hmm. I mean, the DD right, list is yeah. phenomenal. Um, you have a data room, all of that kind of stuff. But the area of due diligence, in my opinion, is always, un- always um, un- understated is HR due diligence okay. and the people. So and obviously, what does that look like in the HR? Just a brief insight. To... Yeah, so so you know you want to be looking at the leadership team mm. um, and the capabilities. You know what's the track what's the track record of the people on the team? Are they all new and have yeah. don't, haven't really got that much experience? Mm. Have you got a, a, a diverse group that mm. actually represents the you know the customer base with mm. good knowledge in technical experts um, as well as sort of more generalists? Yeah. 
Um, where's the succession planning is key, not just for that um, leadership team, but for the next layer down. Mm. Um, what training pro training development programs are in place for, for the business? How are you attracting talent into the organization? Yeah. All of these things, you know, have you got good HR processes, systems, um, all of that. But you've got it with people, it's relationships, isn't it? You know, have you got any single points of failure? You know, if one person leaves, that all of a sudden they're going to take half the customers with effect. them. Yeah. You know, so all of that kind of comes into HRDD. But you've yeah. got to build relationships. You've got to spend time on the ground with the teams. And then the other thing I would say on buying a business, um, make sure you've got an industry expert that's that's on your team. Yeah. Which is which is really is the role that I often play. Yeah. Because a private equity house or a venture capitalist, they know how to invest, they know how to buy businesses, they know mm. how to do DD. Yeah. But what they won't necessarily know is what does good look like? Yeah. What are the key metrics? Is this business, uh, where are the risks in it? Mm -hmm. Where's the, uh, you know, the upside potential that hasn't been presented? Um, and, you know, what's, what does a good conversion look like in, mm. a, in a broker business? Yeah. You know, what's the shape of a P&L, travel business? If you're making 5% EBITDA, you're doing quite well, 5 to 10%. Yeah. Well, if you were in a retail business, you wouldn't accept that. You, yeah. know, or in the, you know, so we, yeah, yeah. you need an industry expert that, that can tell you what good looks like and give you the honest perspective. Mm, Sorry, it's quite a lot in there. Yeah, it's really good, really helpful. <laughs> hey, so someone offered to buy half this business like 12 months in and uh, they did a lot of what you what you said and some of it they didn't do but it was, it was a key point on the people that some of the top performers they were really keen on making sure if they were involved how they would be mm. fitted into the business moving forward mm. um so it's quite we turned them down in the end but um yeah, i just find it fascinating and i think you know you might want to keep your business forever but i i, I think that you want to at least build your business so it's still attractive 100%. to someone to come in because you never know what's around the corner. Yeah, and also, yeah. and also, yeah, you want to be building it in a way that's um, that is moving forward. Yeah. Right. And and if you if you're building it to sell, then it can it, you probably are doing the right things, putting the right HR in place, and the right management team, the succession planning. You know, well, we're always talking about talking to Will, who's here today, about you know what's the next phase in his journey. You know, Ollie becoming an operations manager, mm. who's going to become the next MD. You know, and and it's uh, really important, I think, to get them elements right. But there is so many moving parts, and <laughs> especially when you're still doing deals and, and it's all that stuff. So, um, but I'm fascinated. But thank you, that's really good insight. So you've gone, you've left corporate. You're now an entrepreneur, mm. an entrepreneur. Um, you've got the the private equity kind of side of things or a consultancy side of things going on. You got some mentoring going on. You got the property stuff going on. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about the podcast. Yes. That's okay. Yeah, of course. So brave, bold, brilliant. Yes. It is a brilliant podcast. So, um, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, you've interviewed some fascinating guests. Um, Jamie Waller was on there the other day. Mm -hmm. Um, it, very different different sectors like travel, uh, property, business, all all different. And so, if you're interested in business, property, and the world of economics and how it all works and definitely check out that podcast because uh i've I, I listened to a lot and got some value from it what made you start it and also how have you grown it i think you're like in the top one and a half percent one and a half percent in the podcast world of podcasts so how do you do it do you know sprinkle <laughs> some dust on our podcast over here <laughs> <laughs> well i winged it i winged it yeah. but, um, i think how did i do well it's funny because 
because I never thought, you know, when I was coming out of corporate, like yeah. if someone had said to me, we're going to be have a pod, you'll have, you'll have a podcast. I, yeah. I mean, I had a laugh. Do you yeah, know? And that's what I'm saying. Sometimes what is a podcast? Have a plan. Yeah, yeah, what the hell's a podcast? Have a plan, but sometimes you've got to be flexible around it. So I guess how it evolved for me was because I'd, in corporate life, I never did anything really on social media or not mm. much. I was on LinkedIn, but you're so restricted because if you say something, yeah. obviously it can have a detrimental effect to, on the share price. Yeah. Right? So you be very careful. But when I came out of corporate life and I was sort of starting doing the various you know projects and initiatives we had going on, we're mentored by Rob Moore and mm. Mark Homer, as, as you know. And, and Rob Moore is like an absolute demon on social media. Mm. So he was encouraging me yeah. to... To do, put myself out on social media, yeah. which was a real like, uh, it was something I did not feel comfortable with mm. at all. Like, so I really had to push out and, yeah. and sort of force myself to do it. So as I started doing more of that, and always just sort of thinking about, you know, can I say something interesting that might help people? <laughs> was sort of the starting point. Yeah. But as I did more of that, it was Rob that said to me, you know, you should really think about having a podcast. Mm. And I hadn't really thought about it. And I says, all right, okay. And once I set my mind to something, then generally it happens yeah. <laughs> um so within six weeks actually deciding to do it i'd launched um so i came up with a concept you know working with the with the team and, and what have you and with progressive who, who do the production for me um and just kind of really set a launch date and work and work backwards and mm. said right okay if we're going to make this happen let's just crack on because yeah. otherwise i'm just going to kick the can down the road and not do it mm -hmm. so so yeah so so i at the time so we coming up to second anniversary now so 27th of july 2020 was when i started it well and how many episodes we're now on 208 <laughs> episodes so i do two a week amazing um two so, a week now two a week I, right from the beginning i've done two weeks wow yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and the reason I do two a week was because under, and again, you know, take advice from people that know better than you. Yeah. Um, Rob said to me, uh, you know, whatever you do, make sure you can be consistent. Mm. And the frequency, it doesn't have to be two a week, it could be one a month, mm. you know, but make sure you can deliver whatever you set out from the beginning. Yeah. You can always add, you mm. know, if you want to. But he recommended to me, try to do a combination of your own content because you've got a lot of valuable stuff to help people with yeah and but also obviously interviewing incredible people mm. like yourself joel who's been on the podcast Thank and you. you did an amazing i was job. gonna ask you who your favorite guest was but <laughs> i think you just confirmed it <laughs> absolutely absolutely um but having that combination of sort of solo content and interviews mm. sort of mixes it up a little bit yeah. helps get my voice out there of course mm. as well uh, but the interviews are all about the guest, yeah. you know, uh, and that's the thing. So, I yeah. quite enjoy your uh, newsletter, your business newsletter. Oh, yeah. You send yeah. that out as well. So Every it's like week. they get the podcast and the news because it's like yeah. a lot going on in the world, right? And it's just like a little, I'm having my breakfast or whatever, and I'm just tuning in to, to what's going on. So I think that's good. Yeah. Uh, good for the, the audience as well. Yeah, so I do that weekly newsletter, mainly because I think, you know, th there is a lot to digest mm. in media. Mm. So I, I put a weekly, I do it on my social media, but I also do a, like a, a you know, a, a version that goes into people's inbox if they want yeah. it as well with more detail. Uh, what's going on in the world of business because I think we can learn so much from other sectors mm. and other brands yeah. and, you know, what's going on. So, so yeah, I do that on a weekly basis, but not for any monetization or gain from me, just to try and kind of help people. And it's the same concept with the podcast. Yeah. I started it because I think people needed a bit of guidance, support, bit of inspiration maybe mm. at a time when it was quite difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and then I just kind of love it. Yeah. 
Yeah. I really love it. And I think because I'm fundamentally quite nosy. Yeah. And I like people. Mm. I'm interested. Mm. And and it's all about, you know, how can we be the best versions of ourselves? Yeah. And it is by being brave, isn't it? And kind of, you know, taking a deep breath and pushing ourselves. Yeah, you know, and, and then being bold. I think what's the point in doing anything if you're not going to make the biggest impact you can? You may as well crack on. Yeah. Give it a good shot. And if you do both of those things, hopefully you'll be brilliant. Yeah. You know, so that's the concept. Yeah. But it's mainly a business podcast, but I also have interviewed, you know, elite sports people. I've interviewed people that lead amazing charities. Mm-hmm. I'm interviewing, actually, um, next week, who's going to be um, my uh, celebration for my second anniversary, is uh, Lord John Bird, okay. who's the founder of The Big Issue. So yeah. I'm interviewing him at the House of Lords amazing. next week. Wow. You know, so when I started this, I never knew where this journey was going to go. Yeah. Um, but everyone is fascinating. It doesn't matter whether you're the cleaner or the CEO. Mm. Everyone has got a fascinating so, gem or story or something interesting. So it's not about um, always interviewing really well-known people. Sometimes it's the, yeah. the hidden gems that are actually most fascinating. Yeah, I find that. Like I quite enjoy the stories and the journeys and the lessons, but there's always that one or two, two things in there. Like I heard someone say the other day, a CEO... Um, you know, we, when we have board meetings, we can easily get excited about the exciting or the sexy stuff. For mm-hmm. example, we've got this going on in this country, we've got this going on in these countries, we're about to launch in this country and all, and all this stuff, But that, which is great. But actually, what I want to know is, where's our problems? Mm-hmm. Like, where what issues are we facing now as a company? Because if we expanded so quickly over the last several years, where's the areas of weaknesses that we need to be working on as a leadership team? Yeah. And how do we improve them? Because obviously all the good stuff's going well. But how do we make what's not going well better? Yeah. And I was like, whoa, that's really powerful. Because you we go downstairs, we have our board meetings, and we talk about P&L and this quarter and that quarter and the team, and it's great. But actually, well, what's our customer journey look like right now? Yeah. How How's their experience? Interest rates going up. Have we communicated that with them? How are they feeling? You know, what's our HR department looking like for mm-hmm. guys? Someone has another contract in two weeks. What's going on there? You know, so start making them like one percent changes to improve the business but i just learned that off a podcast and it was it's an hour and a half of talking and that one thing was like okay that's good so that leads me to like ask you like what's the best thing you've interviewed loads of people Mm. really credible is there anything that you've taken away one or two three things that have really kind of um stuck with you and you want that's a valuable bit of uh, lesson i guess i think the point is that regardless of someone's position Mm doesn't matter to say what you know where what business you're in or what level of an organization that you're in but when you when we see very successful people yeah it's really easy to judge isn't it and to mm. say oh it's all right for them they've got it it's all cushy yeah, yeah. um and equally you know but the reality is when you actually talk to most people everyone has their trials and tribulations Everyone has has moments of self-doubt, yeah. whether you want to call it imposter syndrome or whatever, but mm-hmm. most people, about 70% of people, have those feelings. Yeah. So when you spend time with even what's seen as successful people, mm. there's all this stuff going on. Yeah. Right. We're all just sort of winging it and doing the best we can, you know, <laughs> and having those wobbles and the little yeah. gremlin in our heads. So that's a common that's a common thing that, yeah. that stands out for me. I think the, the second thing is that if you want to be the very best at whatever you're doing, doesn't matter whether that's be the best mother, the best father, the best business person, you want to be in that top 5%. 
by definition, that means doing the stuff that 95% of people are not doing. Mm. And that's a choice. That is a choice. Um, so I think to have that clarity of where you want to head, what you want to do, and be prepared to put the hard work in, and the smart work, obviously. Mm. Um, but you tend to find that, that the people that are doing well they've they've really they've really worked hard it hasn't just happened yeah you know there's been a lot of failures along the way and i think the attitude to failure again is is quite a mindset piece you know we, often we see failure in negative in negative terms but actually that's where you learn that's where you grow yeah so i think all of those sort of common elements I mean, it's loads joel but those are some of the things that have stuck it stood out for me but people are people mm. you know fundamental we all want to be liked and loved yeah you yeah. know, really. Yeah. You want to feel safe. Sometimes with the business people, they're doing it, or the sports person, they're doing it because they want that validation from others. Who, Absolutely. Which all comes back to love, isn't it? I guess. Yeah. yeah doing yeah. it for the love. Doing it for love. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, though. It's so true. Um, human nature, isn't it? And you know, we talk about yeah. uh, profiling and stuff. Um, what advice would you give anyone who's looking to leave corporate and become a business owner or entrepreneur? I would say really think about whether it's something you want to do. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not for everyone. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I just want to have a really great job, whatever mm. that might be. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Because being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. Yeah. Being in a corporate world is not for everyone. Mm. So, you know, row your own boat. Mm. But be clear what it is, you know, yeah. whatever it is, whether you and the other way, you know, maybe someone's in an entrepreneurial world and they want to go into corporate, yeah. you know, think about it, but mm. really challenge yourself and say, what is going to make me happy? What's going to give me joy? Mm. Do I really want to do this? Am I doing it for the right reasons? Yeah. Or am I doing it because it, I, I think it's what I should do? It's what others expect of me. And I think once you can be really honest with yourself, and if you do decide you want to jump out of corporate to entrepreneur, then I would mm. just say, crack on. Mm. Because the, the the challenge is, if you're in a in the corporate world and you're you know reasonably well rewarded, shall we say, for what you do, or you come maybe you're just comfortable, yeah. you know, you're safe, you're secure, mm. that can be almost like you know the the, the death knell of any any change, yeah. because it's safe. Mm. And so I think if you really want to do it, don't have a life of regrets. Set yourself a time frame. Might mm. not be immediately. You might say, I want to be out of this business in twelve months' time. And I'm going to work backwards and I'm going to, what steps am I yeah. going to be taking today to, to help me make that move? Um, because otherwise, another year will go by, another year will go by. By then you've had another promotion, mm. harder to leave because you can always go back. Yeah. If it doesn't work out, so what? At least you bloody try. Yeah, give it a go. Seriously. And I think if, if you're if you're in a, maybe not in a really senior position, you're in a, in a you know, a sort of a, 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 mid, a mid-level role, shall yeah. we say, um, squirrel away a bit of money. Mm. You know, look at what you what your minimum outgoings are. Literally, get a spreadsheet. Get on there. How much you're paying for your mortgage, your rent, your you know your food. You know exactly what you need to cover. Squirrel away any extra cash to set yourself up so you've got a bit of a buffer. Ideally, six months longer if you can. Um, and and then you know when you actually make that move, it's not going to be quite as stressful. Because, you know, quite frankly, if you're worrying about can you pay the gas bill, it's very hard to be creative and, and kind of push yourself out. This, well, there's two arguments. You could either say, well, that gives you the motivation to make it work. Yeah. But I think I'd rather know that I can pay the gas bill 
before I make a jump out of a job into into a business. Yeah. So I'd, I'd probably say give yourself a bit of a buffer bit to a make it easier well, to transition. Yeah, and, there's and also, do something you love. And always it says that unexpected things that you that pop up they didn't realise would happen, yeah. an extra IT cost or absolutely a bit of marketing and yeah, all that yeah. thing you, you learn as you go along in business and yeah. then. Uh, um, you know, like you said, the last thing you want to be worried about is council tax and Absolutely. mortgages and stuff like that. Yeah, so, yeah. but choose a business that you're going to really love. Yeah, because if you love it, you're going to really throw your heart and soul into yeah. it. Mm. And you know, even if even if you don't have the perfect plan, mm. at least have a bit of a plan. Yeah. Even if it's on what you know, back of a fag packet, have a bit of a plan. Yeah. What does your first first year look like? You know. Yeah. Um, I met a lot of business owners who've never written a business plan and they've had successful businesses but yeah. I would always encourage people to write a business plan and if they don't know how to write a business plan then get help writing it you know we were just at the Prince's Trust right and yeah. they were talking about helping young people set up businesses and being mentored and um, a business plan can fundamentally you know help you see maybe where some thoughts are in your business that you haven't thought about because you got yeah. excited by the idea but just spend a couple of days maybe a week or two just Write that plan. Give it to someone else to review, and let you know. Then you can go ahead with a bit of a bit of a plan, right? Definitely. Oh no, I agree. 100%. Okay. Um, how? What advice would you give a business owner on motivating their team? How to motivate their team? Stay well, motivated. The thing is about motivation. Do you want to get paid? <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> the thing is about motivation. If you have to try too hard to motivate your team, there's mm. probably something quite fundamentally wrong. Yeah. Okay even before yeah. you start. So yeah. so I would be looking very very hard and thinking, hang on a minute, if I've got mm. if 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 it's like pushing water uphill, yeah. there's something more fundamental <laughs> yeah. going on here, yeah. right? So I have you got the right people in the mm. first place? Are you acting are you doing the right things as a leader? Is mm. there a vision? You know, yeah. are people bought into it? So you want to ask yourself some of those basic things first of all. Yeah. But let's assume that that's all kind of good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um I mean I I think really spending time one-to-one -one with people in particular mm. direct reports what you know you've got to be present in your business yeah. you can't be sitting in your fancy office and yeah. never never walking around the office and knowing what's going yeah, on yeah. go spend time with your customers spend time you know actually doing the job that your people are doing yeah. as well be on the phones with your customers listen to calls see where the block is blockages are why, why the system's not working for them so i think i would definitely Try and spend time with your team so that that you're you're present, mm. not all the time because you've got other things to do, of yeah. course, but enough so that you can really sense the temperature and yeah. it shows you care. Mm -hmm. You know, listen a lot, ask lots of questions, um, make yourself available. Yeah, always have your door open. Mm -hmm. You know, and genuinely don't just have it as a bit of a saying that's not really how you feel. Yeah. Um, so make yourself available, and then you know, social stuff is great. Mm. But if you're fundamentally, as I say, you can't just take people out for a social night when there's bigger cracks, you know, <laughs> if the foundations are rocky, yeah, that's yeah. just sticking a, a, yeah. a plaster over it. But I think having doing social stuff, saying thank you, I think recognising people when they've gone way and beyond. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to do like lots of sort of lunch and learn stuff. I used to do um, whenever it was anyone's birthday that month, anyone that had a birthday in yeah. the month of June mm -hmm. would all come for breakfast and then we'd just spend a bit of time, you know, I'd tell them what's happening in the business, any questions. Yeah. So I think there's so many ways, but it's about human interaction, isn't it? Yeah. People want to feel like an individual and not a number. Cared about. And it's quite hard to do that in a bigger business as the business 
you know gets bigger um, but then you need to make sure that your team are also doing that so you have a cascade yeah. down um you know ask their opinions get the buy into the strategy you know do away days there's loads of things yeah really it's that constant that touch point isn't it checking in yeah. i think like what we did at the start of the year was spoke about our vision spoke about our strategy we did a two-hour meeting literally the whole company mm. and showed them this is where we were last year this is what's happening in the market this is where we want to be now next 12 months 24 months all the way up to five years mm. this is how we see everyone being involved in it this is everyone's role in the business and um and then just constantly checking in and with people you know we talk about using the business as a platform to elevate their own life you know like will who works here we spoke about him on the podcast before buying his first investment property you know he's come in all the knowledge he's got using that and we think well if the floor elevates then the business elevates right mm-hmm. um so i agree like the, the strongest thing for me which i've helped which i think motivates people the best is that finding out what's important to them obviously their business has got expectations on what they need to do for their job and, and they've got expectations on what the business needs to do for them and their position but actually you know what's going on in your life what do you want to do like why are you even here like in terms of like why are you here you know what got you into financial services what do you want to be an ifa or mortgage advisor like where do you, want, do you want to be an md like what's going on and they kind of open up and say like okay well the business can allow that to happen here's a journey mm. and we can help you you help us and we just grow together and that seems a bit seems like it keeps people motivated yeah and i think you're right you know and, and people have you know work is just one aspect of people's lives yeah, it's not exactly. it's not the whole thing and it no. might be the most important thing Feels to, like to you <laughs> yeah exactly but actually very hard for someone to perform at work if if you know they've got an elderly parent at home yeah. that needs care and there's yeah. some stuff going on there or you know the wife's just been made redundant and they're worried about paying the bills mm. or whatever so i think you know that stuff is hygiene factor stuff yeah and if you can understand when when people have challenges and things are going on in their personal life that you can not not to pry yeah. but to support and help it might be just be that they need a bit more flexibility around the working hours that they do mm. and then of course you're doing that to help them but once you've sort of done that they're buying to you as a person mm. first and foremost but also as a business is much higher anyway yeah and therefore you're not doing it for this reason but the law of reciprocity will naturally come round you know mm. because it's human nature isn't it if someone's done something nice for you feel like you, you want to give back yeah because yeah. you want to not mm. because you have to yeah and i think that bond is really important mm. you know and if you can if you can connect with your with your teams at that level when it's necessary not all the time because mm. most most of the time people are probably fine yeah but if you notice something's not quite right you know just just really in a gentle way try to understand that i think that's when people really People remember how you made them feel. Mm. They won't always remember what you said, but yeah. they will remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And I think that's the most powerful thing you can do as a, as a human being. I speak to the leadership team at Ramsey White about um, who was the best manager you ever had or boss you ever had. Because mm. that's how I want the team to feel about you. For me, as a lady called Michelle Pace. She was, um, I was working in a state agency and she was training me to be a mortgage advisor. And she was amazing. She gave me so much time, so much energy, and I didn't have a clue about that side of the industry. And she really kind of took me under her wing to train me, broke it all down. She took an unknown and made it and linked it with a known to help solidify the learning. And then she really kind of encouraged me to kind of grow in that space. And off the back of that, I think I flourished so much quicker yeah. if than than like how I've seen other people trained in the past from other um, I guess directors or trainers and uh I always think of that person when I'm bringing on new people or having a moment with someone. And obviously sometimes you have to, 
you need to be firmer with people but actually it's all come back to how how do you you're making that person feel because yeah. that's you know they're going to go home and talk about that to their partners and mm-hmm. you know uh, have an impact when they come back to work the next day, isn't yeah. it? So, absolutely. And even yeah. if sometimes you have to have a difficult conversation, because yeah. there are conversations. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you have to, you know, maybe you're, someone needs to needs to leave the business yeah. and you're having to have a, re- a really difficult conversation. What like, I found with that as well, switching to objects, you know, is, is normally, because as humans, you naturally don't want to have confrontation. You don't really want, some people enjoy it, right? Yeah. But um, so when you have to have that difficult conversation, every time I've had that, it's always been okay because that person there's been something going on in their world or within the business that they're not happy with or they've they know it's not quite right so you either come to an agreement that you're both going to work on it to move it forward or they're going to leave and they're like gosh i'm glad i'm not i needed that or you move them into a different department and they're also equally as glad so it's not as bad as as you may feel it is going to be as a a business owner or director i think the thing is with that is you can't assume anything Mm. you know because you don't really know how yeah. someone's going to respond yeah. um, so you kind of need to be ready for for all different reactions yeah. you know and yeah, I've, so unfortunately true, yeah. I've had to have many of those conversations over the yeah. years and sometimes it's met with tears sometimes yeah. it's met with relief sometimes it's met with anger mm. sometimes it's met with phys- physical kind mm. of you know yeah. response um, so you never quite know but I always think if I was on the receiving end of this bad news mm. how would I want it delivered to me yeah how would I want to be exited from a business? Mm. You know, and it's as important how someone leaves a business as how they join a business. Yeah. Um, that was an old boss of mine, Colin Mitchell, who's no longer with us. He that was something that I really took from from my very early career. Mm. You know, because when someone joins a business, oh fantastic, welcome to the team, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then if someone then resigns or decides to move on to another business, it's like, oh, you're dead to me, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, and it's yeah. the worst thing you can do. Yeah. You want to really yeah. make sure people leave in on as good a terms mm. as possible, even if it's their choice or, or your choice. Yeah. Uh, but it's not always easy. It's well, no, it depends. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I there was a young lad who um, was with us, um, and he decided to move on. He was based up in London, and it's because of COVID. It kind of was a bit of a tougher time. New advisor coming in. We tried our best, but um, and it, he told me the firm is going. He went from self-employed to a PAYE role. And um, I would just message him saying, look, good luck with a new role. And remember, you know, you've worked at Ramsey and White, so put your best foot forward and I hope you smash it and become one of the top performers. And I think he was genuinely shocked that I said that, but I wanted him to do well because yeah. you're moving on, good luck to you. Yeah. And now we've shared a few conversations about his plans in the future and what he's going to do. So um, someone actually did that with me coming through the ranks in different... Uh, different firms and when I left and uh, I've always took that forward I thought because mm. you know sometimes people leave on bad terms and you, you have to deal with that um, but if it's amicable then you're going to wish them well isn't it you're going to burn all your bridges and you never know where people are going to rock up later yeah. go and get some experience come back and uh, <laughs> exactly. you never know you can be running the company who knows yeah cool covered a lot There's a f- <laughs> <laughs> it's been been good, good conversation, Jeanette. I really enjoy speaking to you. Um, I just want to touch on the mentoring, right? Because I know mm-hmm. you do a lot of mentoring and help a lot of people. So for the listeners, kind of tuning in, what kind of what things are you focused on for mentor? Is it is it just because obviously you do the property stuff, the business stuff, corporate stuff? Mm-hmm. Where is that? 
where is that kind of attention for clients? What's if someone's looking for some mentor and where do you help in that space? Yeah, I mean, it's really for people that want to scale up. Yeah. And that, that could be scale up their career mm-hmm. um, if they're in the corporate world or, mm-hmm. you know, they're in that, that sort of that sort of scenario. Or it could be that they're a business owner mm-hmm. and they really want to like get to the next level. Yeah. So there are normally two types, two types of, 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 of mentees that I work with, but mm-hmm. all of them are hungry for it. Mm-hmm. They're prepared to take the action. Mm-hmm. Um, they know they might not always know what that next phase looks like, and that's obviously obviously where I will try and help them as well mm. get there. But they they they're all they all want to be a better version of themselves yeah. and a better version for their families, for their business or whatever. So it's all about scale up. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of pro bono stuff. So if it's a startup mm. type business, often I will do that. You know, just to, to help someone. Yeah. Um, but in terms of sort of clients that invest in their mentorship it's all about making sure that they get a good return on that Mm. um, as well because it is an investment yeah um you know so so those are the type of people that i tend to tend to work with i mean i i'm pretty direct (laughs) i call a spade a spade so you know i'm not everyone's bag and that's okay yeah but i think some people if they're not ready for that direct directness then they you know do they do they really want to take the business to the next level because i think being a business owner, entrepreneur, whatever, and things are going well, a lot of people give you a lot of praise, and it's great. Oh, well done, look at you. Da, da, da. But actually, when you're going to that next phase of growth, there's challenges that are ahead of you, mm-hmm. and there might be challenges already in the business that you ain't aware of that you need to remove to then go to that mm-hmm. next level. And I think where you come in, you create a clear plan. You know, when we were speaking at Christmas time, we were looking at like, um, you know, the activity of every individual in the business, like strong KPIs, and like looking at profit and loss and growth over the next five years and how much we're earning on each product and every element of the business is dissected and you know that can feel quite painful um but actually when you reflect you go actually i didn't know that or like you know what element of how many percentage of clients are are doing more than five deals and how many are doing 10 deals and how many doing two deals and how are we treating that person you know what's that client journey like and i think when you strip it all back it gives you real clarity on moving the business forward and we've seen growth in our business from from working with you in december last year um so i definitely recommend working with jeanette i definitely recommend checking out her podcast because um that'll give you an insight into jeanette's kind of background a bit more and the people she works with and um yeah and i think thank you very much for your time jeanette i think for those who want to get in reach out what's the what's the kind of best Place. Yeah, well, anywhere on social media. It's Jeanette with two N's and two T's because yeah. oh, difficult, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jeanette Linfoot, yeah. So all over social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I've got the podcast, of course, Brave, yeah. Bold, Brilliant. Uh, my YouTube yeah. channel I've got as well, which I'm trying to sort of, you know, provide video content for people as well. Yeah. Uh, and then I've got a website as well, which is JeanetteLinfootAssociates.com. Awesome. So check it all out. I think that is all for today. So thank you very much for your time, Jeanette. You're very welcome, Joel. Thank Thank you for having me on. No problem. My pleasure.